0: Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about the second track on Kate Bush's debut album, Kick Inside, called The Saxophone Song. Second track from her album. It was also the second track to be performed on the Tour of Life, which we will get to later in the episode. Oh, didn't so, she? Uh,
1: di- question about the Tour of Life. Yes. Didn't she mostly play those in the order that they were on the album, or?
0: Sometimes, at least for the first two songs.
1: Okay, so so it wasn't like that then.
0: Yeah. That's so, not a
1: sometimes. That's a no. Yeah.
0: So so with me this week is. Um, my wonderful husband, Andrew Link, because I didn't want to just be up here talking all by myself. She's calling me
1: wonderful <laughs> as the alternative to throwing a can of fizzy water at me for playing saxophone songs repeatedly.
0: No, no. <laughs> so, but the
1: Moldovan sax man.
0: In case you don't know the Moldovan Saxman, man, we'll talk about that later in the episode. But first here, so obviously this is called the saxophone song. What are your impressions?
1: There's a saxophone in it.
0: I would hope so. It's There's the a
1: lot song. of saxophone. Also, it does start with whale song.
0: A little bit, because it's a holdover from the previous song.
1: Well, I, that was kind of one of my questions. Um, CDs were often broken in strange mm-hmm. places. Obviously, this was this was initially released as a, a record, right? There were because it, it predates CDs, I believe.
0: Right. This was released in February 1978, So and CDs really didn't become a household thing. I remember them when I was a kid. Even though know, we still listen to cassettes, my parents still occasionally listen to records. My dad still has his epic record collection of John Denver and tons of other stuff. But I remember mostly CDs. Although CD players didn't even become a really common thing in cars until maybe even almost 20 years ago, I want to say.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to find about find out whether this was initially released as a record, a CD or a cassette tape, the the whole album.
0: Um as far as I know, a vinyl record probably. No. Oh, it was released as a vinyl vinyl first.
1: And the reason I'm asking this is um because the the, the on the CD that you gave me this track starts with whale song, but it kind of makes more sense for whale song to be and the ending sounds mm-hmm. of the previous yeah. track. So I'm wondering if that's, um, I mean, I know Kate Bush is very particular about the production of her material, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if that's the studio saying that we want to cut the track here for time's sake or put Whale Song at the front of this because it connects it to the previous or something. It, it just feels like something that was more of an arbitrary decision of where we're going to cut between the two tracks that blend into each other, because yeah. I don't feel like the Whale song really fits this, no. uh, this track very well. No, the the
0: song, no. And actually, this song, um, well, this song was one of a couple of songs, it was one of three demos that Kate Bush recorded with David Gilmore, who is the co-lead singer and guitarist for Pink Floyd. He was a friend of a friend. And he came around her house one day and listened to her play and went, okay, well, I'll I'll give you the money to uh, finance a full demo to shopping around different record companies. And this was one of those songs. So this was recorded when she was about 14 or 15. And in fact... According to this interview from Sounds Magazine in August 1980, this was one of her earliest ones. She had this to say about the song. Throughout the interview, she kept coming back to films, TV, and other people's art as the starting points for many of her songs. Forever Fantasy. She accepted it. Each of them comes from something that makes me go, wow. Most of the films I've drawn from were shown when I was a kid, which is strange. They've taken 10 years to work through my system and go, wee! I know if it makes me a thief, but the material is digested and changed, like with infant kiss. New LP more below. In fact, it's very difficult using a film story because they're so long and you have to precise so much. Sometimes I feel I only get half of it across. Another of her favorite fantasies is the exotic setting. There's saxophone song in Berlin, Kashka from Baghdad in Egypt. She hadn't been to any of these places and ignorance almost seems a necessity to her to preserve a pure, free flow of imagination. Saxophone song was one of her earliest, written when she was about 15. It curled us in closer to the roots of her music. Sometimes chord structures make you think of a place, and I love saxophones, so I wanted to write a song about them. I think of a beautiful sax like a human being, a sensuous, shining man being taken over by the instrument. The perfect setting was the smoky bar in Berlin, with nobody listening except me in a corner, the streams of light flashing off it to me. Papa, pa, Explosion noises. In the song, she is a surly lady in tremor. You'll never know you had all of me. Mike suggested that Freud would have made a meal of this one, too, and this time, as she's fond of phrasing it, she broke through the barrier. I'm very basic, she said. I wasn't thinking of it as phallic when I wrote the song, but I do now when I see a sax player. I feel if everyone understood the real things I'm saying, it wouldn't be much good. It wouldn't help me. If it seems harmless on the surface, that's all right. I don't want to upset people who don't want to know. There are enough people, thank God, who have seen it. They're listening with their hearts. The sax is a very sexual sound, all vibrating, resonating, like bowels. Look at photos of musicians playing any instruments, and it could be interpreted. It's not always sexual, but mainly. You are cuddling the instrument. You're seducing each other. Guitarists are up there, so obviously waking with their guitars. But it's open. Beautiful. It's at a love level.
1: Now, the vocals that are on the studio album, are those mm-hmm. the same vocals that she recorded when she was 15, or...
0: Yep. So this is... On this album, it, there's this song and the man with the child in his eyes. Those were two songs that she did with David Gilmour. And those were not re recorded vocally years later. And I've always wanted to know why they didn't. Why didn't they re record her vocals? Because I like her voice on this track. I mean, I like pretty much most things that she's done. But there is, at least to me, because I'm really picky about voices and everything, and I sing myself, that there's a difference in her vocal quality in the song versus, say, the other songs around it it still sounds beautiful i'm not not saying that here please don't throw tomatoes at me i'm not saying she's not doesn't sing beautifully on this she does but there she seems a little more timid and i wonder if it's because at that point she'd never she never played her songs for anybody other than her family members you know she didn't have a band and go play you know every saturday night down at the pub or something like that she had never been with a full band and an orchestra and everything, which is what she did for this this song and Man with a Child in his eyes, which came up later. And there's she sounds a little bit more shy on this one. Like I can still tell that it's her, but she sounds younger. I've always wanted to know why they didn't re record the vocals. But that's just
1: me. Yeah, that is a good question. I mean they're well it's well sung. I don't I don't listen to the album and go Uh, track one clearly a mature singer track two (laughs) oh what's this teenage demo version (laughs) but it's a it's a matter of curiosity why they wouldn't re-record and I mean the fact that somebody like me who enjoys Kate Bush but is not um a, a Kate aficionado didn't really notice the difference in the vocals might explain what the uh, what what the record company was thinking yeah. where you're coming at it more from the perspective of somebody who has uh, performed a detailed analysis of every timbre of her vocal quality over the decades <laughs> so i mean uh, i i mean maybe i need to listen again but i don't really hear the difference oh, okay Listeners, write in and let us know (laughs) if you hear the difference. Uh, Share this audio around and uh, argue on internet forums repeatedly over whether you can hear the difference.
0: What's your initial impression of this song?
1: It... It has saxophones and yes.
0: not quite like epic sax guy, but it does have saxophone.
1: It's more of a story song, I would it is. say.
0: Yeah, and and see, Kate, right off the bat, like she she's more of a storyteller anyway, and that kind of cut that comes from I think her her background, which was listening to mostly folk music from her older brothers, because she's one of three. She's got two older brothers, Jay and Patty, and they were always bringing around interesting music and they were like, hey, hey, let's let our little sister listen to it.
1: Yeah, I feel like Moving was a nice song and had thoughtful lyrics, but when you kind of look at the lyrics and listen to the song, it could be by pretty much any artsy Mm -hmm. person who does um, lyrics that are thoughtful but a little bit obtuse. This is closer to that Kate Bush storytelling style that you keep talking to me about whenever yeah. we're, you know, sitting in the car and you're playing Kate Bush.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's still got her poetic, poetic kind of lyrics. Like my favorite lyrical moment is in the second verse when she goes, "The candle burning over your shoulder is throwing shadows on your saxophone. A surly lady in tremor."
2: Shoulder, shadows from
0: your love, a oh, whoa. It's just its very evocative. Like, oh, that's so cool. This is the first of a couple of songs that are going to come up later that are written about a particular musical instrument in the feeling that it evokes. The second one is and is going to come up on the tour of life, and eventually ends up on Never Forever, and it's called Violin. And something else that she said about the song is that, quote, It sound is very exciting, rich, and mellow. It sounds like a female. And then this is from the Utah Daily Chronicle, Bush Stands Alone by Molly Fowler. I got this off of gaffa.org which, by the way, has been an awesome treasure trove of finding Kate Bush quotes for these episodes. Exemplary is saxophone song, which uses a blend of jazz and jazz rock to a set of bluesy lyrics. It puts Bush in the artistic perspective of a woman who can write good lyrics for music as well as she writes music for lyrics. It puts Bush in the artistic perspective of a woman who can write well.
1: Hmm. I'm just looking over the lyrics here and... uh... In some ways, they are beautiful and thoughtful, uh, and you can get that early early sense of storytelling with, You'll find me in a Berlin bar, in a corner brooding. You know that I get very quiet when I'm listening to you. I mean, there we get more storytelling, but then... uh... So tell me, tell me what you think about this line. "The candle burning over your shoulder is throwing, shadows on your saxophone, a sor- surly lady in tremor." And then the next two lines are: "The stars that climb from her bowels. Those stairs make towers on vowels. From her bounds, Those
2: stars make.
1: I mean, it's poetic, but I—I
0: I actually always kind of cringed a little at those lines because I could—I could see what she, I think she's trying to say, but uh, the vowel and vowel just. Uh.
1: It, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to mock it for oh, no. for y- or, or or to make just a you know a, a sophomoreic oh vowel vowel <laughs> joke, but. <laughs> no. uh, it doesn't feel like the greatest expression of Kate's writing. I, I, I'm not surprised this is one of the older songs on here, mm-hmm. just because the you know, as someone who teaches middle school students how to write poetry, it. It feels like something I would see in a first draft of a middle school poem where someone says, oh, I need something that rhymes with vowel and gives you the sense that you feel this deep in you. I don't know. uh, Bowel. (laughs) Yeah, I'll use that.
0: It's true. And she did write this when she was 13, 14 years old. And admittedly, it's pretty well written for a 13, 14 year old. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm not mocking I the teach, song in
1: any way. I just I, I think that there is a bit of a weak line.
0: Yeah, I, I actually I agree with you. The rest of the song is good for me lyrically. But that that line, those two lines have always been kind of eh. I actually had no idea what she was saying there for the longest time. And honestly, I didn't realize she was saying a surly lady in tremor. I, I don't know what I thought she was saying. It just kind of like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, it just kind of like fades away from me. Well,
1: she is also Kate, and her pronunciation can be more artistic than articulate.
0: True. And, you know, some of my other favorite artists are like that. See, Charlotte Martin. But, yeah, this is. It does seem to be telling a story. It's a, a woman watching somebody play saxophone, and she's taken in by the sound, and... It's making her feel things, and she really she just loves the sound of the saxophone. Just like later, she talks about really loving the sound of a violin.
1: Okay, um, what about um, the the musical quality of it? Um,
0: Very much of the time, I would think it. It sounds maybe it's because like the the little synthesizer flourishes toward the end. They sound those against the strings sound very '70s, but in a good way, very. 70s. It sounds like somebody who's developing an interesting style, but they haven't quite gotten all the way yet. And that's okay. You know what? Everybody's got to start out somewhere, even somebody like Kate Bush. Did,
1: uh, did she insist on this song being on the album, or was it more of a we need to have X number of tracks, or did the, her producers love it? What what led to this track being on the album. Maybe.
0: You know, I'm not real sure because they, the story goes they went through about 200 songs for her first album. I mean, you, I, I thought I was a prolific writer. <laughs> I don't have 200 songs in my arsenal. But they went through about 200 of her songs. And um, I know some days they recorded piano vocal song. They recorded several piano vocal songs and only one of them ended up on the album. Makes me wonder what those other songs were. Why they chose to go with the demos for these, I'm not real sure. That's actually a really good question.
1: Yeah. um, So what's your favorite part about this song?
0: My favorite part is um, when it switches, when she goes from there's something very special indeed, there's something very special indeed, and then it ends on a D minor, and then it goes to D major, so there's a little bit of a shift there. She shifts the the keys a little bit. Again, I'm a music nerd. Doing this podcast, I get to analyze this stuff. Ooh, yay.
2: And
1: so, well, tell me more about that shift. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. The, 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 I think that the first track on this album, I think Moving had a little bit more meatiness to it a little bit more i mean this is a beautiful it's it. song it's pretty it it showcases her early storytelling uh tendencies and I, I certainly enjoy listening to the saxophone there's not enough saxophone in popular music anymore
0: oh yeah seriously
1: but that's about as far as i can go with this so mm-hmm. what about the the storytelling or music particularly moves you
0: so what moves me the most about this song is the chord progression. I'm going to just music nerd here for a second. If you're not at all interested in music theory and all that, you can kind of, okay, well, we're going to skip ahead to this. What I like about this song is that it starts in a really melancholy, moody sort of key, which is D minor. And seeing in D minor, you have D, F natural, and A. Why minor keys have a more melancholy sound to them, I don't know, but they just do. And this starts in D minor, so you'll find me in a Berlin bar, and all throughout the first verse there from You'll Find Me in a Berlin bar, through the repeat of There's Something Special Indeed, this is the chord progression. Now when we get to that second repeat, when she says indeed, it suddenly shifts to D major. And what changed was that the third note of the chord becomes sharp. So it becomes D, F sharp, A. And automatically it's got a more bright sound, which makes sense I think for a line like in all the places where I've seen you shine, boy. So that D minor, So it's got that kind of melancholy sound right up against happy D major is a little unusual. And that's what I like about this song. I like those tonal shifts and you can see even in this early work, you can see that she's putting chords against each other that you might not otherwise hear and it goes more with the mood of the lyrics rather than oh i need to follow a strict four chord progression like every other pop song in the world so to me it's it's a beautiful song but it's not an absolute favorite it's just nice it's 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 a good reminder of where she came from
1: there's a reason that this is uh, included on the album, but not, was not released as a single.
0: The only other version of the song is a live version from the Tour of Life.
1: So she did perform this one on the Tour of Life.
0: She did. This was the second one right after uh, Moving.
1: I wonder if maybe she did somehow think of them as a pair then. Uh, saxophone song and moving are connected by the whale song, and on the CD version, the whale song is actually part of saxophone song instead of the closing uh, seconds of moving. Mm-hmm. So that makes me wonder if maybe it was intentional to leave the whale song onto, uh, leave the whale sounds as part of saxophone song. Because as odd as it might seem, maybe she does see a connection between the two if she she performed them one right after the other during her live shows.
0: Well, maybe she considers the two of them together because they're both songs about expression. The first one is about expression with movement, and then the second song is expression through music, that this... Woman is sitting in the corner of a smoky bar in Germany listening to somebody play the saxophone, and she's just captivated by the brooding sound of the instrument. It's like, okay. yeah, I see those two connected. I could see that. The, the t- and the two of them, the t- those two songs, moving in saxophone song, are linked in the live shows that she did. This has only ever been performed on her tour of life. She did not perform it for Before the Dawn. She didn't do anything from her first four albums.
1: And is this on um, director's cut?
0: Nope, not on director's cut. She has not remade it or done it live since 1979.
1: Did she ever perform this song live uh, on television that you're aware of?
0: Not that I'm aware of. The only time she did it live was on the Tour of Life. And for that version... They didn't release the, uh, the official recording of it on the Live at the Hammersmith Odeon. Because about two years after she did these sets of live shows, she released a VHS called Live at the Hammersmith Odeon, which was only about half the show, actually. And they cut out most of the show. Maybe the, the, the footage might not have been good enough. Apparently they used very dim lighting in a lot of the songs and so that didn't show up very well on the, uh, on the cameras. the will probably show it up now, but there you go. It's the difference of four, you know, 40 years here. So on the tour of life, Kate performed the saxophone song right after moving, which was the first song. And in the live version, there's also the whale song. the lights dim and she moves over to a piano and for the performance she's at the piano playing the song straight as you hear it on the recording something Musicians are all kind of jamming around as the song is fading out. There's the image of somebody, of shadow of somebody playing the saxophone. Was not released on the live at the Hammersmith Odeon tape, but you can find it on YouTube. That's where I saw it.
1: So, so it's not part of the official concert concert video.
0: Nope, not at
1: all. Huh. Any idea how the video was re- came? How the video came to be released?
0: Uh, this video, the video of the saxophone song, was done for Swedish TV, and that footage got passed around for years and years on different VHSs and blah 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 and eventually like most things with media it ends up on YouTube and it admittedly the footage is pretty dark like the camera is focused mostly on her there it's like this deep blue lighting and she's playing a pretty white piano and everything around her like it's just black all around her so maybe they didn't release the footage because she didn't think that it all looked good enough. They did use dim lighting, um, the lighting and the effects that they used for the show. They had in mind the uh, the eye of the audience rather than oh how is this going to show up on the cameras? Boy, if you could go back, if you could go back then, with the stuff we have now like oh i don't know take my iphone with me (laughs) we would probably get some pretty cool footage right there but this was 1979 so i guess they didn't release the footage because of that it just didn't she didn't think it looked very good
1: were there any other tracks that were left off of the performance Oh Uh, 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 were there any other uh, songs that were left off of the um the 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 live concert I, i guess that was a vhs release
0: the songs that she performed, including this one, that were not on the official release, but bootleg footage has surfaced on YouTube. This song, "Room for the Life," the man with the child in his eyes, Egypt, uh, "La Moule Looks Something Like You," the kick inside, the warm room, uh, what else? Oh, yeah, the war- oh, "Full House" didn't make it on there. Kashka from Baghdad. Coffee Homeground, which is really too bad on that one because it has a really cool routine that looks like something out of Chicago or some other theatrical uh, play. In Search of Peter Pan, Symphony in Blue.
1: So I she had know. like half a dozen songs that she performed, but for some reason didn't include in the uh, home video release. Yeah. Um. Have you been able, I know not to go too far off topic, but have you been able to track down video of all of those songs or just some of them?
0: Actually, I have been able to track them down. Thanks. Thanks to YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Like those things these days. You're looking for a song. It's probably on YouTube.
1: Uh, the, the The fact that she chose not to release that uh, since there were so many songs that she didn't include i i 'm going to agree that it was probably more of a she wasn't happy with the quality of the video yeah um,
0: the, and I know i'd read that in in some cases they tried using they tried uh, putting extra effects on it to make it brighter, but then it would look really really washed out I mean as we know from. Doing graphic
1: design. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes me think, though, uh, you, you mentioned there was a silhouette of a saxophone player. Um, mm-hmm.
0: So in the live performance of the song, she sings and plays the saxophone song, pretty straightforward, like the album version. And there is a live saxophone player, of course. And as the saxophone player is doing his outro stuff, there is projected a projected image of a kind of thin guy playing saxophone that comes up on the um, on the stage behind the band on the curtains on the curtains, yeah. So. They're doing that in the live performance and meanwhile she's playing piano and playing it pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah, I've seen the video for that too and it it is difficult to tell whether it's the actual saxophone player uh, because on one hand I'm inclined to think that it's the live onstage saxophone player because it's less a projection and more of a, a shadow play. They've got uh it, it looks like three or four different colored lights shining on the saxophone player from different angles and just projecting him really large behind her onto the curtains but he's also moving a lot and very skinny looking and the the skinny thing could just be the um the the, the different angles of light mm-hmm. but he really looks like he's moving a lot more than the actual saxophone player that's on the stage.
0: Yeah, and so the footage we're talking about here, it was shown for Swedish TV, and you can type in YouTube the saxophone song Kate Bush live in Sweden. And you can you see this from towards the end and it, the the guy who is playing sax the saxophone there with him doesn't seem to be moving around nearly as much as the guy that's being projected yeah that was the second song she did for her tour of life she hasn't performed it live in any other capacity it's a bit more of an obscure song of hers because it wasn't released as a single anywhere it's just an album track So other than the live version, which has not been officially released, and the album version which was essentially the demo for this song, no other versions of this song exist. It wasn't released as a single anywhere, it's just an album track. And because it's a little bit more, I think a little more obscure in her canon than say Running Up That Hill or Cloudbusting or any of her other songs. I wasn't able to find many covers. So one of the things I like to do is highlight different music artists doing covers of Kate's songs. Some people think it's sacrilege to cover a Kate Bush song and admittedly she does have a very distinctive voice and style, but I like hearing what other people can do with her songs or just with a song that's not their own in general. Since this song is a little more obscure within her canon, there are only two other covers that I have found of this song one of them was from somebody named Nora O'Connor it was uploaded by Kate fan k8 fan and this was done acoustic female vocals instead of a piano like there is in the original song it's got a guitar she's playing guitar on stage this is a Kate Bush song. Okay. It's on her first record, track two, I think. Like. Uh,
2: it's called the saxophone song. This is Dave Smith from J. Davis Studio in the Baltimores. Yeah. have Hedy Patterson, Johnny Blaha, and Johnny Ride from the name group.
0: somebody named Theo Blackman. This one is sung by a guy, and it's got a much more jazzy element to the song. The original song has a little bit of a jazzy element to it, mostly because of the saxophone, because let's face it, saxophone is used in a lot of jazz music. But this one really plays up the jazziness.
2: Tuning in on your saxophone
0: of this song exist. It's just an album track. It's never released as a single. And I will say, it is a beautiful album track. Not an absolute favorite. Honestly, to me, it's a nice song. So, if you have a deep love of this song, you just have to share it with me. If you want to talk about this, or honestly, any Kate song, feel free to hit me up either by email, um, kbcast at link that's linkwithanemedia.com. I'm also on Twitter at StrangeKateCast. I had a lot of trouble trying to find a Twitter handle for this podcast. Because <laughs> all my ideas were taken. Ugh. So you can hit me up on Twitter. You can hit me up by email. And I would love to hear from you. Like, seriously. Part of why I wanted to do this project is not just that it gives me one of other dozens of projects that I like doing. How many crochet projects do I have going on at one time? Oh yeah, probably about a dozen. But more than that, I love connecting with other Kate Bush fans. I love hearing how her music has spanned generations. I mean, I myself, I was born the year The Hounds of Love came out. So I'm one of the later fans. And I've got an interesting story with that but we'll get to that when we do Wuthering Heights because that was my first exposure to her. I want to just meet as many different Kate Bush fans all around the world. I know we're, we're kind of (laughs) scattered. We're all over the world here, but part of why I wanted to do this was to meet other Kate fans and honestly to help compile a history of her work because she's got so much, so many interesting things about her and especially the art that she puts out for us fans to enjoy that, I want to try and get as much about every song as possible. And even, hopefully, talk with people who have actually worked with Kate. Or, it would be wonderful if I got Kate herself. That would be awesome. So, if you have a song you want to talk about on a later episode, or if you just want to send me an audio clip of you talking about your favorite song, please email me, please hit me up on Twitter, and eventually I'm going to have a Facebook page too. I'll have a little Facebook. So, feel free, I want to hear from you, I want to find other Kate fans, I don't want it to just be me, please. So we're going to take this song away in, I think, the only way we know how, and that is the Epic Sax Guy from Moldova, Eurovision. Look up Epic Sax Guy on YouTube so you can see the video, now we're going to hear Epic Sax Man, because this is talking about, this is a song about the saxophone. And
1: nothing is more saxophone than Moldova, Eurovision 2010 and 2017.
0: Exactly.